Hello, everybody. Welcome to My Hard Drive Died, episode 20. My name is Door to Door Geek, aka Steve McLaughlin, and as always, I am joined with uh, Scott Moulton. H- how is everything going, Scott? It's going great. I'm glad to be here again and uh, glad to be here for our 20th show. That's a good even number. Oh, very, very even. Uh, now, it's already been, I believe, three months since we talked. And something tells me uh, you've been very busy. You know, it uh, it stays pretty busy. Things, uh, you know, on my side, some things are slowing down because of the government sequester right now. Uh, government basically putting a hold on all spending and all money. Uh, that's like 70% of my client base teaching classes and doing stuff. So that part has slowed down quite a bit just while we're waiting on the government to kind of pull it together. And... I don't think it's going to be fixed for another month or so because there's this whole thing coming up in October where the Republicans are trying to shut down the government and uh, Obamacare and, you know, I don't want to get on the politics and everything. And then there's a whole thing of uh, these truckers who are apparently really pissed off at the United States and the government and that nobody's doing anything. And they're planning for a three-day event in the middle of October to make a convoy to go to Washington, D.C., and basically park and shut their trucks down and shut down shipping and transportation for three days. And they've been asking other people in the United States not to spend money or to, you know, kind of boycott things for three days so we can kind of show the government and everybody, you know, how mad and upset we are. I just saw this a couple of days ago, and it was like on Glenn Beck and a couple other things, but if you Google it, you'll see. There's this attempt they're going to completely try to shut the government down. You know, normally I would say it wouldn't be a big effect, but you know, trucking down, you know, sh- shipping and trucking, any of that kind of stuff getting shut down, will affect our economy for you know months to come. I absolutely agree. Uh, they are the backbone of a lot of supplies. Well, basically every supply, every good, comes off a train or a boat at some point in time and goes on a truck. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned for the next couple of months of how things are going to go. Uh, the only good side I have is uh, I'm also not always affected by our government because uh, I have a class in Australia in December. And apparently uh, I already have like 12 people in that class. So if anybody's interested in Australia, uh, it's a great time to get away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So... But, uh, well, well, that's a huge plus with being um, as... Um, global as you are yeah uh, definitely you know from a data recovery standpoint i'm getting drives from other countries i've always gotten drives from other countries since i started doing podcasts and talking about stuff on you know doing all my speeches at defcon and things like that so i do get a, a global uh set of hard drives that are coming in but you know understand even you know even though in other countries they may not be directly immediately affected by things that happen in america it's kind of a cascading effect. Gradually, you know, country by country, as they have problems, you start to see that. And in my travels and going other places, I've seen this effect uh, far greater than you would expect. But it kind of lags behind anywhere between three to six months, uh, you know, maybe even as much as a year. And so, um, you know, gradually it's kind of going to be a mess. It's just, you know, how long can we survive and what can we do in the process? Yeah, and now to say I don't like when politicians, when we, when the future of us weigh on a politician mm-hmm. in general, right? I, I get, I get a little nervous. I get a little sketchy. Well, it, 
you know, one of the other weird kind of events that's happening is because of all the issues with Obamacare, there's all these companies are pushing or even some of the laws have changed on what as a company that you have to do to maintain your company and protect data and all these kind of things. So it's becoming more of a thing now, even doing data recovery, where I'm starting to get, you know, letters that people want you to sign for HIPAA agreements or, you know, business affairs and things like that that are, you know, pretty strict pieces of material as opposed to the service that I've just been doing all along, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So these are going to be complicated events that it kind of seems like they're forced down to small businesses that make it so that a small business might not even be able to, to easily take on some of these events for bigger companies. And, you know, that, that's a whole new event, too, that I've not seen in, you know, not just in data recovery, because data recovery, I've been doing that for like 13 years, but I've owned other businesses for over 25 years now. And uh, it's, it's a different event that didn't occur before. And, it seems to be blamed a lot from, you know, the, the, the Affordable Care Act and what's actually happening there as well. So uh, so other repercussions are coming down the line. I just don't know how bad it will actually be over the next three to six months. Gotcha. Well, here's a little side question. I'm going to assume you like working on hard drives a lot more than you have to worry about business politics. Hmm. I am not fond of the business politics side. However... You can't run a business if you're not paying attention to those things. Gotcha. Makes sense. It's 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 very difficult. You've got to have uh, some pretty decent good business sense. One of the only reasons that I am here still today compared to some of the other people because you know 2008 was a, a tremendous uh, problem. People who were in debt and had problems and things like that. I watched competitors in my other businesses get wiped out. I mean, I mm. I sold two other businesses and uh, and did well and got out. But I saw here in Atlanta, you know, we had a whole slew of companies that were doing uh, IT support and competing against my other businesses, which were managed IT services and building servers and doing things like that, and literally just disappear in a very short period of time, going bankrupt and, and folding. And from a business perspective, you know, even even if you want to be a small business, it's very, very important to start planning three and four months ahead. Uh, for how you want your business to survive rather than buying a TV or something like that. You got to think about your employees or rather than, you know, going out and, you know, spending a lot of money on, you know, a fancy car or something along those lines. So it, it does make a difference when you have to be very business oriented and very business minded about your investments, uh, things like that, that, uh, you know, over time can really affect your business. Yeah, um, don't want to go too far into business, but I will say um, it does seem like one of the popular terms I'm now hearing is um, runway. You have to have enough runway right. yeah. in order to like outlast downtimes, and by r runway, they essentially mean money in the bank. Uh, yeah, you calculate your expenses based on how many months. Uh, we've we, you know we've always done this uh, prediction for, from that standpoint of how long you can actually last with your money in the bank and what your expenses and your hard fixed costs are, and then what your soft and flexible costs are, and then, you know, what you can and you can't control. And so, you know, Runway effectively is taking all those calculations into effect to see your fixed costs and your flex costs and how how many months out you would actually be living off of just what's existing in the bank account in the hopes that you, re, you can reproduce some income before that actually happens. And so you're right, it's become a, a hot buzzword that people are using for business stuff. Uh, I've been doing it for 25 years, but we just didn't call it runway. 
Exactly right. Wow, man. Um, so there is definite pluses and minuses when getting into business for yourself. And you've been around long enough. Um, pretty sure you've seen all just about everything that business could uh, you know, throw at you. Well, I would have said so. Uh, you know, I've always given health care to my employees and supplied family health care and those kind of things. And we do it at, we do it per single employee 100%. So we've always covered them for 20 years. But there certainly are things that are changing now that have never been this way before, you know, making it more difficult. And I don't want to scare anybody from their dream of starting their own business. It's one thing if you've already been doing business for a long time and now you've got to comply with new regulations and add on expense. Whereas if you're coming into the business world and you're saying, what do I need? It's a new event for you. And so the things that you need to do are not going to be exactly the, 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 you know, something that you didn't already know that you were going to have to do. So that's really where, you know, even like PCI compliance and things like that, each thing puts a stress on your company and ends up being one of those things where instead of being creative and going off and working on hard drives, that you've got to pay attention to these other events or you can't stay in business. Yeah, it's a definite um, balancing act. Uh, can I ask, has there been any news or disruptions in the um, hard drive business itself? Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of disruptions from that standpoint. You know, now that there's only three hard drive manufacturers left, everybody else has been purchased and bought. Uh, so over the last year, there has been, you know, quite a bit of that from that standpoint. So even, you know, since we last talked, some of the companies have just been even more consumed inside the companies that were purchased. So like, you know, Hitachi and Western Digital that have now been purchased and merged into one. Uh, so it's, you know, the ones that are left are Western Digital, Seagate, and Toshiba. And all the others are gone. Fujitsu has been taken in by Toshiba and so on and so on. And this is, uh, this is now the thing that we see when we have, we're working on a hard drive. Uh, sometimes when we're looking at the hard drive now, we kind of have to determine, is it just a relabeled Hitachi, relabeled as a Western Digital? Because when we're working on it, some of our tools need to know the specific brand of what it is. And sometimes it's getting difficult now to actually say, you know, these are now just, they're still Hitachis, but they've just been relabeled. And we can tell that, but it's like Toshiba's are getting a little bit harder to tell because the Fujitsu line, they've started to make the cases the same and things like that. So I'm having difficulty telling, oh, well, was this a Fujitsu drive or are they even making this Fujitsu drive anymore? And so that's a little bit of a disruption that is different. Just trying to figure out what the drive is we're actually holding in our hand because the labels used to indicate <laughs> you know, even Seagate, uh, even there's still some Mac stores out there that, you know, Seagate has relabeled and, you know, they'll have a STM as a ser as a model number. And so we'll actually know that those are a Mac store, but some of the others are getting harder to tell. Um, so that's, so that's one thing, maybe a little bit in the disruption area. Uh, there's still the ongoing battle of, you know, here's spinning disk versus solid state disk. So right. um, the solid state world is only getting worse. It's not getting better, getting more complex. Um, instead of now having, say, a NAND chip and a controller chip, now you're getting them merged together. So now you actually have a controller chip and the NAND chip all in one. So you can't separate them in any way to try to mm -hmm. read them in a chip reader or do anything. Not that that's very valuable anymore anyway. Um, and... And today, uh, and I kind of predicted it a while ago because this is one of the things that's happened in the cell phone world because we do have this merger, as you know, I do forensics in addition to doing data recovery. And so I'll have cases that will also deal with cell phones and things like that in the case. 
And one of the upcoming events is that all the new cell phones are all encrypted and that you can't actually access any of the data. You can't disassemble them and take the chips out like you used to and be able to read the content. And BlackBerry is one of them that you could do that. You could take out some chips and do things. But as of today, it has been declared that BlackBerry is dead. Uh, they declared today that they're selling out to a private company, shutting their doors fundamentally as it is known. And so BlackBerry will cease and and you know, will no longer exist. And so that does make a little bit of difference in the forensics world and what we're dealing with because, you know, primarily now we've only had, well, now we only have iPhones and Android. And then Windows phones, they recently sold, uh, you know, 19,000 Windows phones to airlines, apparently. So mm. airlines and stewardess and things like that are all getting Windows phones. Um, so they're still going to scrape by, at least I guess it's going to be the new I don't know, governmental phone or whoever knows whatever. but And then with all the new iPhone stuff that's out, which is scary enough in itself that we may actually have a NAND chip sitting on a processor that is going to store our fingerprint. And I know there's been a lot of arguments out there about what, what's happening there, but if, you're, if you have flash memory and it's stored and it stores your fingerprint on it and it's sitting inside of a chip, what does that mean to you from a security perspective? You know, you know, if a cop stop you and grab you and, you know, what do they just grab your hand and push it onto the phone and unlock your phone for you? There's it's, it's already been cracked anyway. Somebody's already proven that you can actually use a fake fingerprint and actually get into the new iPhone anyway. But uh, yeah, I was going to say, I believe it was uh, in Germany. I think it was like yesterday. It was like literally it seems like a day after the phone was yeah, that's the released. The Chaos Computer Club did a test and did that. But it's also based on old biometric stuff that's already been around before That where they did it with computers and stuff years ago. Uh, and it's an exact replica of that kind of thing as well. Um, but there's other people trying to figure out. Um, there's a challenge out for somebody who can, if you can suck the data off of the phone, like can you actually suck off a fingerprint and transmit it in some way? Uh, because, you know, as Apple is contesting is that it's sitting on the chip and it never leaves. But if it's data, then one way or another, there will probably be a way to get to that data. And since Apple's actually complicit in working with the NSA, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and that's one of my things I... With fingerprints, I never understood is what is getting stored. Is it merely a hash representation of certain parts of your fingerprint or is it an actual quote unquote fingerprint? And uh, I'm never sure. I mean, what we have at our job are little square capacitive fingerprint readers. And the impression I got was they're so inaccurate. Like randomly, sometimes people put their finger on and they register as somebody else. So then I took that as well. This is no way storing an actual fingerprint. It's just storing like a few features of a fingerprint. But with this iPhone, I have no idea. So uh, so even in law enforcement, and, and there has been instances before where people have been arrested improperly because their fingerprint, and it's not often, but it happens because uh, they only test something like seven points of your fingerprint. And when those seven points match, it is possible that you could have someone else in the United States or the world that has those same seven points. But their fingerprint obviously isn't the same, but the computer is going to see it as that seven that seven point thing. Right. And from looking at how the iPhone seems to do it, and again, I don't know that much about, you know, that's not really my expertise dealing with fingerprints, but um, I would think of it very much like a vector. They're storing the points 
that are on this grid that match your curvature in those locations. So they should be within so many millimeters of their original location when you're looking at this curve and these points so that you could actually measure it. And people have you know, proven it. It doesn't have to be a fingerprint. I mean, they used a cat's paw and they proved that on the iPhone you can use a cat's paw and actually create a fingerprint and make that work. So it's just storing points of some kind. And, and probably many points. It's probably not an actual graphical representation like you would expect to see or what they show when you're doing something. So it's just the curve and the points that it's counting. And uh, so, you know, when storing that data, my guess is it's going to be very numerical. It's going to be right. some sort of a measurement and some sort of a, an amount that can be off and shifted. Uh, and each point can vary by a certain amount in a difference would be my guess. And that's very similar to how the head of a hard drive actually works. The head of a hard drive has some similar characteristics to varying the amount of, of space that you can read. There's a difference between a read and write head and how far away they are from each other. And so even even dealing with replacing a head in a hard drive, we have to try to figure out some of those calculations and sometimes change the ROM or modify the ROM in order for those calculations to work on a new head assembly. And so that's kind of my idea is it's probably going to be some something very similar in the way that it's stored. And uh, I have a feeling it probably won't be too long before somebody reveals how it is actually stored. Uh, that that really can't be that hard for them to figure out where it is in the location and get to it logically. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Personally, me, I'm not getting a phone with a fingerprint reader on it anytime soon. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm still on a 4S. I'm not anxious to get anything else, and I still, you know... Other than, you know, if my screen breaks or I dropped it or did something, I'm still pretty happy. Even And I'm running iOS 7. You know, this is the other thing, too, is I'm really upset about iOS 7. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good things and a lot of good features. Just the app updates by itself is really awesome because I was so tired every day of pushing 25 app updates. And, and people don't get me wrong. I also use the Samsung phone, so I have, I have both, and I go through all of it. But uh, I try to stay hot on all of the all of the topics and there's just not enough to make me want to move to an iPhone, you know, 5S at this point. But uh, one thing I don't understand that seems to be a trend that's happening across the board because everybody's so uh, thrilled with this idea of making every technological thing look like a candy bar. Every, mm-hmm. Everything's got to look like here's some gummy bears and here's some, you know, and the 20-year-olds today are setting a precedence for who's buying the stuff. So they all have to have bubbles and, and candy bar wrappers. But – the thing that bothers me the most is that somehow we have forgotten that we have a digital LCD screen that has the ability to show, you know, something like 16 million characters, 16, 16 million colors, and no one is giving us a choice in any of our current software to set the colors to what we want. So again, iOS 7, like mail, is white. There's no, there are panels, there are white panels. There's no lines, there's no definition. It's all white. The screens are white. The uh, when you're moving into messaging, why can we not choose the color of our messages or some variation of the colors of messages? Why does it have to be this? You know, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's completely flat. You know, there's no there's no color variations or anything. It's completely flat now. And for some reason, somebody forgot or decided that we ran out of color and all we have left is white. And so everything's got to be white. And I'll tell you, iOS, if you don't believe me, iOS 7, all you have to do is go look at Office 213. Yeah. Office 213 is so bland, and you only have three color choices. You know, it's you know gray, white, and some other gray, and that's it. <laughs> like, why 
have, I don't understand how we've run out of color. How have we run out of color? You could, it's, you know, when you're programming and you say, I would like these to be a color, it's like pound FFF, and there you have black. I mean, <laughs> how, I mean, how can this be that hard that you just can't have a little drop down box that says, here's, you know, 16 million colors, pick one, and you can make your, yours be anything you want. And so I'm very angry that we actually have to, like, because this is what Apple forgot when they implemented iOS 7, is that, you know, yes, they did make it look a lot like the Google phone. And maybe they audited, like, you know, 7 million people, and they all said, hey, yeah, I like the Google phone better. And Google has the candy bar colors everywhere. They even named their stuff after candy. Yeah. But the problem I have with it is that Google allows you to change themes. You have tools that you can change your themes. You can make it be anything you want. So if you don't like the way your phone looks, change it to something else. But Apple, no way. You are stuck. Unless you figure out how to jailbreak it, you are now stuck with whites. Everything's whites. Yeah, see, I have an Android device, and I believe it is flexible in comparison to, but there's still certain colors on my phone that I get upset that I have to work hard at to get to to change like the um notification drop down for me to customize that i literally have to install a custom rom with a custom app on it that will let me customize that well there are a lot of themes that you can install there's a lot of uh third-party tools that actually take over the entire desktop and the entire layout of your phone and that you can actually use different notification in the whole thing they just replace the current shell with another shell and so uh, maybe we're not talking the same terms here, but, I mean, my phone doesn't look anything like what they gave me. Right. Yeah, there's just little things, it, it, and it's only because I literally ROM my phone so much that I notice what is static between them, and that's, of course, what I want to change because I like making things hard. Yeah. And I frequently uh, temp brick my phone or soft brick it like every couple weeks. Hmm. But, you know. Yeah, I'm, that's how I have fun. I just don't understand why that everybody's trying to make us fit into this little box that a twenty-year-old wants to fit into. Yeah, well, and I'll say the my issue I'm starting to have with mobile phones is how everyone is now becoming a little bit more obsessed with storage size on it and the idea of no re no re um re um movable storage. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and. Uh, to me, that's like a little bit dangerous of just having all that information on a NAND chip that I believe is uh, built to not last the full term of two uh, full years, and there's no external. So you have to become a administrator of the device and constantly back your stuff up, or you could definitely just miss stuff and lose it. Well, and of course, that's that is the problem with the iPhone, and maybe iPhone set the trend by not having that ever having a anything you could plug into it or USB or anything as well. And I, I think by now we should be doing the opposite. We should be getting more flexible, not less. I mean, not you know everything doesn't have to be in the cloud. You're, it's actually impossible now for you to practically even use your phone without it being connected to the cloud. Yep. And so I. I you know, from my perspective, there's there is you know two avenues that I go down. One is the forensics guy in me goes, well, you know, I need to get access to this content now. It's encrypted on the phone because all the chips are now encrypted on the phone, and so we're actually heading into a realm where you're not going to be able to break into the phone. You can't see the data on it. Like for you know, we've been stuck even with some high-end equipment like Celebrite and things like that. We've been stuck with the iPhone. Uh, we can only look at logical content. We can't look at physical on any of the new versions of any of the phones because 
they haven't been jailbroken, so we don't have access to the physical ROM at this point. Whereas on Androids, we can still do it for the most part on most of the phones. But we're heading into this realm where access to the phone is being denied. We can't, even as a forensics guy, get to the lower level of the phone anymore. And so luckily there is data in the cloud, and that's possible that we can actually go get that, examine it, review it, because as a data recovery guy, I'm going to be stuck on these phones to where physical means nothing. Hmm. Scary. Very, very scary. Yeah, I use um, I use um, Bit, um, BitTorrent Sync on my Android device, and I, and I have certain directories synced with my home computer and because of that i'm using an in excess of 20 gigs a month mm. on my mobile plan but i have un, unlimited data so you know who cares right i understand yeah you know and and that's still the way it is with the iphones and stuff you've either got to buy more storage or you you know they give you five gigs free that you can back up your phone or do whatever and but uh you know, I don't know. It's just like we're always chasing to manage the device at this point. Uh, you know, you, it's almost gotten bad enough now where you're actually spending your time managing where your icons are and what things look like on your screen. Uh, it's it's just getting absurd at this point again. And we've dropped all the complexity that we had with, you know, with computers and other stuff. You know, I think computers are even less used than they ever were. People are using pads and, and, and uh, other devices more often. But... You know, that is kind of my concern is the storage direction that people are going. Um, even though we have, you know, some of the things can take storage chips that go up to like 64 gigs. You know, that would normally be an XFAT SD card or an SDXC card. But nobody's taking advantage of the ability for you to actually have one file that is of that size. So, for instance, uh, you know, when you're making video or you're doing something, it's still knobbing it off at either 2 gigs or 4 gigs, even though you've got 64 gigs of space. Uh it, it it segments the video and segments the content as if you were still using some old technology as opposed to XFAT, which allows you to have one large file. And things like that are starting to get annoying where they haven't done the proper upgrades and they're not making certain things available. Um, and so we're doing more and more management than what we ever needed to do. Gotcha. Well, we talked about big, big mobile drives um, on like phones. Now I have a question. I just saw recently... It seems like USB 3.0 thumb drives are starting to become a little bit popular and their price is starting to come down a little bit. Is the core technology different for you in dealing with those or, or have you not had them come in yet? Um, there, you know, fundamentally from the data recovery side, there is no real fundamental difference. The layout, the chips, the way things are, what they've, what they've done is they've changed how they communicate. So you're getting that higher speed when you're trying to actually use them in a device or something along those lines. So, but the wiring at this point hasn't changed. Uh, you know, I will tell you on SD cards as time goes on, you know, we're at the last rev of the current SD cards. The next one already has new wiring. They're actually going to change the, the way that the chip actually communicates with your computer. So we're back to, well, we need a new uh, connector. We need a new uh, device to plug in our SD card or something like that. So as we move into the next one to be able to communicate with them better, it's going to be a new a new wiring scheme. But on thumb drives, still currently, the process for repairing or fixing or looking at the thumb drive has not changed yet. Uh, we can either move the chips over to another similar device, or we can actually try to hunt down what is broken on the device itself, try to resolder chips or try to resolder the pins, things like that. Um, so those parts are still exactly the same. They haven't changed. Gotcha. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
ever since you told me about the SD cards, I'm just waiting because I know it's only a matter of time before I'm going to have somebody say, I'm trying to stick my SD card in, but it won't work in my new computer because it's a new drive. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely coming down the pipe. Uh, and then, uh, you know, briefly, as even you and I talked about right at the beginning of the show, that there is uh, this new announcement of new hard drives that are going to be super thin so they can put them in tablets instead of using solid state. Uh, the one that we looked up was the Seagate one that said they're going to be five millimeters thin so that it can fit in a tablet instead of trying to continue to use a solid state drive, I guess. And the fact that they're going to be 500 gigs is, is the point, I guess. That seems like that was what their plan was. Uh, so for those of you who haven't seen that, you know, just, look up the Seagate 5mm drives, you'll see a 500 gig drive that's super thin so that it can supposedly fit in Android tablets and other devices. Um, but, you know, this is one of those things where things have changed enough there where, you know, I don't know if it's a good idea. I don't, I, yeah. you know, I don't know if in my tablet that even considering the fact that a drive might spin up, uh, you know, now granted, for those of you who don't know how the cache works on these things, you know, they'll give you, you know, a certain amount of solid state mixed with the drive and then that cache actually is duplicating what's actually happening on the drive so that it doesn't need to spin the drive up for the most commonly accessed things that you're going to do so if you want to watch a movie and it starts the movie it may move that to the cache and so it'll be on flash and so once it's done reading it and it caches it in cache it will be sitting there and it won't spin the drive up so you may not have you know have to worry about the drive spinning up while you're watching this movie or doing something but in theory, still, you still have this problem, which is movement with a hard drive that's spinning, especially in a tablet and things where you're changing direction or you're throwing it in your bag and you don't know necessarily when it's going to spin up or when it's going to spin down. Those are definitely detrimental to the device yeah. and uh, could have some loss, at least from that standpoint. Yeah, exactly. That's my concern. I mean, uh, the idea of the cash, honestly... Uh, has to improve, I think, overall life. But me personally being a tech, I would think if I get one of these things, I would not move it around much just because I would think, you know, every time I move it, and if it is spinning up, I'm going to lose a little bit of data or, or I have the possibility of damaging uh, something. But uh, I don't, I'm one of the guys, I mean, I abuse everything. Like I told you, I use 20 gigs a month in my uh, data. I don't know if I need a 500 gigabyte drive in a tablet. Yeah, I, I agree with you that that is, that is definitely one of those topics where you have to decide, you know, how much space do I need to have to carry around on my tablet? Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, I will, you know, just for the clarity of our listeners, uh, the technology that's in these drives, there's, there's a couple of aspects to this. One is the cache itself. Now, the cache on this particular drive is only eight gigs. So it's not like it's a tremendous amount. Um, it may be enough for, you know, a couple of movies, depending on how big they are or something like that. So it may be enough that it's eight gigs. But, you know, that's not phenomenal by any means at this point that eight gigs is, you know, acceptable. Uh, I would be thinking more I would want 32 gigs or something like that, at least to make it uh, more likely that I'm not going to be touching the disc while I'm on an airplane or something like that. And then the second thing that's important for people to note is that they have accelerometers in the drives themselves. So they can normally tell, oh, yes, I'm turning or I'm upside down. Turn the power off and don't spin up right now and pause. Uh, you know, there are some laptops that currently do that, too, that while you're moving them, they will actually shut their drive down and basically suspend this problem, which would be a read or a write failure 
and pause the machine basically during that process. So it is possible that they will survive longer, uh, but again, now we've learned to live within the confines of, say, a 64 gig, you know, iPad or uh, you know something something smaller at least. I think at least an Android. In a lot of cases, if we're going to go that big, we have to use an SDXE card, which for Android again is a problem because you know it's SDXE is a Microsoft licensed and patented format. So from that perspective, they're not supposed to have that code uh, distributed without paying some sort of licensing fee, which always is a problem for uh, Android or, or any of the Linux community. So there is a kind of a drawback from that to using a much larger uh, memory stick or something in that direction. But uh, but I agree with you. I mean, we've learned to live with you know smaller amounts. I, you know, I don't know that I can say I need these 75 movies with me at all times. So yeah, that that that's like every good movie from 1980 to 92 or something. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's been that many good ones. Uh, <laughs> well, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I don't know. We'd have to. I I would say you know most of the time, and everybody seems to be all you know. Let's watch 40 TV shows or something like that, and just watch them all in a row. And I can tell you, you know, on 64 gigs, unless you're going to carry a lot of apps or a lot of photos with you, you can you can you could put uh, you know two seasons on an iPad and carry it around with you in 64 gigs of space. Which again, you know, that was kind of shocking to me that even on the new phones, when they released the the S, I, you know, I would have thought that the iPhone S would have had 128 gigs at this point. I would have much rather seen 128 gigs instead of a fingerprint reader. Right. But who said, shoot, I'm missing a fingerprint reader on my phone. Oh my God, I need it. I don't know. Well, part of me kind of believes the reason they, I don't want to say the reason they did it, but one of the benefits I'll say is now the U.S. government can tell you, no, you have to put your finger on that fingerprint reader because it's something you have. It's not something you know, so you're not in uh, in um, criminating yourself by entering a password. Right, so that is the problem. Like, So if you're looking at who who did Apple say we need a fingerprint reader for? Did they say it before the NSA and government and, you know, were they enticed into saying, hey, let's throw this into this device? Or did they really think that we needed it? I mean, who really needs it? I mean, are we really at a spot where, you know, we can't type in even our four-digit code or something like that, that we have to actually have a fingerprint on our – I mean, I, you know, and I haven't used it from a convenience standpoint. Is it going to be convenient? I'm sure that it is. But – from my own thought process, I don't want to use it because of that very reason. I don't want to be in a police station somewhere and they go, oh, well, we would like to see what's on your phone and just hold out your hand. You know, you'll be yeah. you'll be forced to give, you know, like you would your DNA or something else. You'll be forced to give up something that may inherently, uh, you know, cause you more difficulty or more problems. Not saying that I'm storing anything on my phone, but you don't know what country you're in. And like I'll give you an example just as a as an idea. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of pictures online where people are making jokes about certain things. And you may see, you know, cartoons where you see, you know, Fred and Wilma doing it or something like that. Well, there are some countries that porn, even with cartoons, is illegal. It, mm. it is possible that you could have a picture on your phone from Facebook or something that you've already gathered or even was floating by in Facebook or something like that that ends up – when you're looking at forensics tools, you're not always looking at all the pictures as they exist in their source. 
you're looking at pictures that were carved out. That's why physical is so important on a phone or doing forensics or on a, on a solid state drive. You're carving out pictures and photos from things that have already been deleted, already been let go. And you may not know where they came from anymore either. And so if you're in a situation where, okay, now you're just going to hold out your hand and here's your fingerprint, then you may be incriminating yourself uh, while you're traveling or doing something. Okay. Well, I'm not going to lie. I thought I knew what you meant when you were saying physical on the phone, but I don't think I follow what you're saying about that. So, uh, so earlier when I was talking about the iPhone and our problems, even with, you know, like I have the Celebrite, which is a $10,000 piece of equipment in order to copy a phone. So when I'm going to do forensics, there's two ways that you look at the way solid state stored. One is logical, which is your operating system. So it's the functioning component. So in other words, if you were to boot up something and you have an operating system and you have an interface and you go into, say, a database, let's say MySQL is on there, and you look at the MySQL file and you open it up, you're looking at logical data. You're looking at you're physically opening up through the operating system some functions and talking to a database that exists. Whereas what physical would mean is I image the entire memory. Nothing's live. I'm not looking at a database. I'm not looking at content. I'm not looking at anything. I'm looking at uh, it just like I do on a drive from end to end, sector by sector, and I suck all the sectors off. That's physical. Whereas on the phone normally, like if you're using a tool like Celebrite, you have two ways of collecting data. One is logical, one is physical. Well, logical would say, okay, you've got your phone running. Type in your passcode, and Celebrite will look at the content on your phone, and it will suck off the content, the databases, the applications, all the logical data as it exists. But it cannot get to the unallocated portions, the portions that were previously deleted and pictures that are already gone or things that have already been overwritten or something along those lines. That content is now in Never Never Land, and you don't have access to that full data. And so that part is currently encrypted in iPhone 4S and above. And so you can't get access to that component or talk to that because you can't read it to image it and do something with it. You can only talk to the logical side, which is the bootable running operating system. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. And, Very cool. And and that is my concern, even from a forensic standpoint. That So in forensics, when we do it on a hard drive, when we go and do forensics on a hard drive, one of the processes is to run over unallocated space and slack space and all this extra content that sits on the drive and carve out things based on headers. So when you look at it and you go, here's a sector, and at the beginning of the sector, there's FFD8. FFD8 means that it's a JPEG. And so take the JPEG from here to here and cut it out and make a picture. It doesn't currently exist in the operating system. There's no pointers to it that says, here's where your file was. It doesn't say, oh, well, you came from Facebook or anything like that. It just says, here's a picture that exists on your hard drive, and we've carved it out. Gotcha. That's like out of um, out of um, context material. It, it is completely out of context, but also understand that many times people are charged with conduct that is of that nature where they may not be able to determine where it has come from. And certainly if you're traveling and you're, you know, similar to TSA or something like that someplace. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage anybody who's in law enforcement or anything like that, but privacy rights from my perspective, uh, you know, we, we do have a right, at least to a certain extent, to protect ourselves and, you know, those are the kind of things where it's difficult to say, well, 
you know, it's kind of the old thing. It's like, do you do you let somebody search your car? It doesn't matter what they find. There might be something there. You know, no evidence is better than any evidence. Yeah. And so that's kind of the whole point is that when you're traveling and you've got content on your phone, on your computer, all this other stuff, you know, how much do you want to be copied? How much do you want out there? You know, what if you got naked pictures of your wife? Do you want them to have copies of that? Mm. Note to self, when I travel to another country, I'm going to ship my phone to where I'm going to be. No, that's not. No, no, no. uh, Ah. No, what you do is you either erase your phone and don't take it at all, or you use a different phone and just use a diff- different SIM card or something like that. I mean, you, you know, I try not to travel with any particular material at all, no matter what it is, just because it's, you know, there's nothing questionable. There's nothing, there's no, nothing on there that's important, but I do go over legal documents. I do go over uh, any kind of uh, accounting information and banking information and things like that. You know, even that kind of stuff becomes valuable to people. They want to know how much money you have and what bank it's in and what can I do to write to, you know, a program to take advantage of that. Are you a target? Um, and I know it sounds a little conspiracy theory from that standpoint, but my point is still the same, is that if you have a password and you're the only person who knows it, and it's a secure password, and your encryption is good, then you have at least a chance that you can withstand it. However, if it's a fingerprint, you are just holding your hand out. Yeah, wow. You're not a conspiracy theorist. You're a realist who knows <laughs> too much. Well, that's probably true, too. I do know that there's too many aspects to this. I, I, you know, Since I train a lot of law enforcement and I do a lot of things in forensics from that standpoint, uh, it is a, a big piece of content that comes up in the class is you know, how is data stored on the drive and, and also how can I hide that data if I wanted to? What are the ways that I could make physical changes to the drive? You know, There's always people out there who talk about, um, okay, you make a partition, and in between the partitions, you can make some empty space, and you can put some stuff there, and they think nobody will see it. But that's false. Uh, that's not a problem at all. Uh, but if I was to do something like, say, modify a head and turn off one of the heads on one of the platters and make a change to firmware, I could write any data on that platter that I wanted to write on, the, on that platter, turn off the head, and without a $7,000 piece of equipment or understanding what I did, you could never reverse that process. Or know, as I'm traveling and going through TSA, that there was some data on a platter on a hard drive that you didn't see. Wow. If that makes sense. Not that I do that. I'm not. So, you know, (laughs) TSA doesn't have to worry about that. But uh, I'm just saying it is – that's one of the things in class that comes up a lot is how do you modify this firmware? How do you actually go after this piece of data? And what is it that I don't know? What, what, you know, if I am TSA, because TSA has been in my class, uh, what if I am TSA and I'm looking at a hard drive and I'm imaging it, you know, is there a way that I could possibly tell? And, and there may be. There, there certainly are some things that I go over in class that it is possible that you can actually see the change, know what the change is. You may not be able to access that data at this point easily, but knowing that it's there might be half the battle. Right. Very ingenious, I'll say. There's there's a lot of things out there once you have the tools and you know what to do with the tools that you know it to everyone else it would look normal and that there would never be any way to access this content at all. And so that's kind of the thing with hard drives is dealing with them. Not quite as easy with solid state drives. Solid state drives are so much more virtual. We don't have control of their controller yet. And so nobody's successfully been reverse engineering the controller enough for us to consistently over time, take over something. 
Gotcha. So we're still at a loss with Solid State. Uh, you know, I keep seeing more and more about Solid State, about how people think it's lasting. It's going to last longer. We're going to put it in our server. But I've actually got such a slew of data that's been coming through the door, testing from a server or testing from equipment or testing from other things that people have put in servers because now they're failing in the fields. And I've got several companies that have lots of solid state devices that are failing in the fields where they're actually now having to send people out and replace drives and do things that are less than two years old that haven't been out there that long. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of scary. I, I still only have one computer that has an SSD in it and I only use it for operating system, nothing else, only because I know it's like, I don't want to say random, but uh, I think it's much harder to tell when one is getting aged and when one's getting ready to go from my usage, from my perspective and what I can do on the drive. There are, and especially in some of the newer generations since 2010 or so, there are some lifespan uh, items that actually will try to predict how many times you've written, how many times these cells have been used, what is your possible lifespan of your device. Um, the, the problem is, is that especially on any of them that don't have that, it's completely clueless. You don't know if it's one or a million. You don't know anything about it and you know only one block in the right place has to die and you won't have access to any of your data again like the the device will not initialize and start up or do anything correctly anymore at all and so that's a real problem considering how data is written across all of the chips and all of the devices um but we don't have control we have no control and you know people ask me all the time well can you you know, there's some people who believe you can safely rover write data and write data from a solid state drive. You can erase it and it'd be gone. But your real problem is you have no way of ever knowing. So as long as you don't know, you're just guessing. You can't ever be sure that you have actually erased that data. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if you overwrite the entire drive, you still don't know what blocks have been marked for bad that still have the uh, um, not even just remnant data. Not even just bad. Uh, you have the other problem too, which is called over-provisioning, which is, mm. you know, I've given you more cells than you actually need. And when you overwrite it, it only overwrites the amount that's allocated to you. It doesn't overwrite the extra content. So if you have a 128-gig drive, but it's really, say, a 160-gig drive, they've given you extra space. Now, it's probably not that large, but but there is a chunk of space that has been allocated uh, it can be. There are some drives that are 256 gigs, and you can allocate 128 gigs to yourself, so you actually have twice the, the span. But when you write 128 gigs, it's only writing 128 gigs. So you still have the other 128 gigs that's sitting out there that you don't know has been overwritten or is gone yet. And so this over-provisioning, I mean, and this is just one of those examples. There's, I mean, I cover a lot of a lot of material when I'm doing these kind of things or when I'm doing them in classes and doing whatever, but there's so many variations of these that without actually taking chips out and doing something with them, you have no control. Yeah, I mean, SSDs seem to confuse the whole idea of what a drive is. They've just uh, made things a lot more complex, at least for someone like me to grasp. It, it is extremely complex, and the real problem is is it's all software. It's a you know you have a spot where hardware doesn't matter anymore. So you have NAND, or you have a controller, and you have NAND, and you have something that's dumb that doesn't do anything, and then everything else sitting on top of that for where leveling and how you write content and where it's moved around, what happens to it. Uh, that's all software, and so you're basically writing. 
Uh, and, and obviously over time, our guys writing software have gotten better and better at what they're doing or more complex at what they're doing. So it's not simple like it was in 2006 where now we've actually got smoke and mirrors. We've got compression. We've got you know encryption. We've got a lot of other things that we didn't have applied on the fly, all being done by the device without your consent. Wow. Uh, that, that, that's a lot to grasp. Uh, the amount of time you devoted to this, it is really a, astonishing, Scott. Um, and the amount you have, uh, in your head, I hope you have good insurance. <laughs> well, I, I do, but let's say something did happen. Well, that doesn't ensure that you have knowledge left. <laughs> yeah, true. So, true. so, uh, that's, it's kind of, you know, not important, I guess. If, if I die, I won't care. <laughs> gotcha well um i know you just had a couple classes can i ask uh how did how did they go uh i did i had a class uh so in between our last talk and this one i've been to australia again and then i had a class in santa cruz california and Santa Cruz is a beautiful place. I really loved it. And, uh, you know, other than making it affordable for me to figure out how I could live there, uh, it, it definitely is a beautiful place. And, and I enjoyed it greatly from a standpoint of being there after hours, lunches, things like that. Not that we have a lot of time when I'm teaching. There's not a lot, a lot of extra time, 12 hour days, but, uh, but it, it went well. It was, uh, uh, you know, a lot of new material. I'm covering a lot of new stuff. And uh, and I have a new class that is completely different. Um, we are doing a, a one-off class that is probably going to be, and maybe the only time we ever do it, in November. I have my partner in Australia. Uh, his name is Zorin. And Zorin is one of the brightest guys I have ever met in file systems ever. And he actually is behind the scenes on a lot of things that uh, people know, like CCE and things like that. Uh, so... So he's published and done a lot of the reverse engineering material on NTFS and file systems and EXT and HFS plus and things like that. And so our plan has been we wanted to put together a file system class that was different than anything else that any other forensics people had taken. And we wanted to do it based on corruption or people that were like messing with you or playing with you. Like when you make a registry setting, how does it affect the file system? What actually happens? So you can actually say, was this bit set? And so he's coming from Australia, and he and I together are going to teach a class for a week. And so two days is going to be my parts, which are going to be all about forensics imaging and dealing with damaged drives without pulling platters and head assemblies out. Everything that you can do up to there. And then he's taken over for three days and doing practical file systems, which will actually be hands-on with a hex editor. And he has actually built out file systems that are specific so that you can see certain types of problems. And you can we're actually talking about using a hex editor and going in and looking at the file systems and knowing what the bits are, knowing what are set, what causes problems, and having a practical for, for both NTFS, FAT32, EXT, uh, and HFS, and going over all of those in three days. And included in the class, people will get a specialist version of WinHex. So anybody who knows what WinHex is out there, it's a specialist version so they could rebuild raid arrays and things like that. And so uh, so this class is it's actually a little cheaper than what most of my classes are. We're selling it for $3,000 a seat, but uh, it's only for this one week in November, November 4th through November 8th. 
So if anybody's really interested, they really need to get on it because that's, you know, I need to lock in students and make sure that people actually want to do this. But this will be like no other forensics class anybody has ever seen. There will be content here you won't get anywhere else ever. Yeah, that sounds uh, crazy advanced. Uh, you've spoken very highly about uh, Zorn in the past. Um, so I'm really encouraged to see how much turnout you have for this class. And to be honest, it seems like how much you're going to learn in the process of, of this class. Yeah, uh, I mean, both me and Zorn, we learn from each other. We have uh, we have great respect for each other, and we each are specialists in our own field. And even though it sounds high level, our whole point is to pe bring people who who might not know how to do this and want to know how to do this. And cool. I'm not going to say it won't be uh you know it won't kill your brain but our whole point is to try to bring people along because it is our belief that no matter what classes or what you've taken out there uh, or any of the other stuff that you've done that nothing's really being done properly and it's not really to the extent of what most people are really looking for and trying to understand and uh so we're trying to bring people along. Just like I do in my data recovery class, I take people who are beginners all the way up through advanced, and there's something for everybody in the class. And uh, I just I just want to make sure everybody actually gets a chance to get some hands-on and get these kind of things. And we're trying to do it for a decent price. Uh, it's really hard right now with the economy as bad as it is, and most government organizations can't put somebody in a class. But uh, I'm really hoping that we get enough to bring it and uh, make it happen because uh, this is already September. So I don't have that long for us to actually fill this class. Well, when was the uh, projected date for that one? It is November 4th through November 8th. And then right behind that class in the next week, because uh, there's two weeks uh, that we're reserving back-to-back, -back, but you don't have to be in both the classes or whatever. You just pick what you want. But my, my data recovery class is going to be the second week. Um, I'm also going to be working with Zorin on the imaging side and actually trying to explain to people what happens when you're dealing with uh, damage drives and how you can do a forensics image properly without, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there using tools to do forensics images right now, and they don't really realize that what they're actually doing, it'd be easy for somebody like me to completely destroy them in court or do something because uh, there's no way for them to know that they've actually properly imaged the drive. The tools aren't giving you the right response. And, you know, there has not been any real changes in forensics imaging in 20 years, and there's no push for these vendors to make a change. But the drives themselves, while you're imaging, can change data. They can, they can physically mark things bad, change data, and what you are imaging, you do not know, has been modified. And so I've heard people testify, yes, I've, I've imaged every block on this hard drive, and they're testifying that they have done that, and they're wrong. And they also don't know that they've actually made a change to the drive and that they don't know what the difference is. Um, and there's other things like smart and other stuff that are interacting with them. But... You know, it's my opinion that forensics imaging is being done wrong and it's incorrect and nobody's making any goals to make any changes because that's not sexy to these companies. Companies making tools that's not a big seller for them to say, well, yeah, we knew this was a bad block, but you just have to accept the zeros. Well, I don't know why zeros are acceptable. That That's ridiculous to me. Um, don't even know. They're not even telling you what the error was on the drive. Even though the drive tells you what the error is, they don't store it. Or they say they don't say it in any way. They just hmm. they just say, oh, this was zero. But there are times that you're imaging a drive, 
and a sector can actually be marked bad while you're actually imaging the drive and the drive doesn't tell you and the software doesn't tell you it doesn't fill it with zeros and it's wrong mm. that's scary that's really scary actually yeah this means, is all going to court i mean well right this means their evidence is all wrong but people are testifying that this is what it is and the problem isn't so much, you know, there's one thing if this occurs and you knew that it occurred. It's one thing to say that. It's a whole nother not to have a clue it even happened. Mm. And so, you know, that's I, I really appreciate most of the time when I am actually um, going up against somebody in court that has never taken my class or has not taken any of this information because no one else knows it. And it's easy for me to discredit them fairly quickly because they don't know enough information about how the tables store the data to even have the discussion on the stand. Gotcha. Yeah. And I just accidentally did an image search for a win hex. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm looking at. The closest, <laughs> the closest thing I can give an example to it is, um, I remember somebody doing a Xbox hack and they had to take a drive and open up a hex editor and do something to it that I couldn't even begin to comprehend, but they said, this is what you had to do to make it work. So when you're looking at this, and if anybody else wants to just, you know, just Google WinHex and take a look, uh, most people have seen a hex editor. They know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, one set of rows, 16 bits over here, here's this, and this is the layout, and you got, you know, 16 bytes in hex that are going to be laid out for you, and then you'll have your ANSI information on the right, or your text information, your representation. But one of the things about WinHex is, is that it's a, it has, it's more of a forensics tool, more of a, a operating system tool than just a hex editor. Most hex editors just point at a drive, here's some, some uh, bytes that you can make changes to. What this tool does is it parses the operating system itself. So you can actually go and look in, and it'll even highlight things. Like if you go into um, an MFT entry, you can actually highlight something. It'll tell you what part of the MFT that it is and what cluster it's associated with and what file that this record is associated with. So you can actually say, you know, while you're looking at a file, where is its record? What goes with it? And so it also allows you to customize things. There's a, a thing to build templates. So you can actually say, well, I've never seen this operating system before, but here's something I want to do. And you can build a template that has the outline of what you want. And then this tool will follow that outline and will represent that data to you in a way that makes sense. So it'll modify itself. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm a big fan of templates whenever I can use them. Yeah, definitely for this kind of stuff. And uh, Zorin has his own templates for some of the stuff that he's doing. Uh, and so some of that will be included in the class. So anybody... You know, just like you said, if, you know, from day one, you sitting in the class, if Zorin was talking to you, he would explain it in a way that you could actually understand what these bytes are, what they're for, why they're there, and how you find them, and how you correct something in the file system. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Very cool. Just getting a couple links here for the notes. Uh, and I'm finding very good information on x-ways.net which I believe is the uh, company behind this? Yes, x-ways is the company. Awesome, absolutely awesome. Yep, and they have because uh, x-ways has two products uh, basically they have WinHex and they have three different versions of WinHex and then they have one called x-ways forensics and x-ways forensics is actually the forensics tool that can index and do all kinds of stuff that you do with other forensics tools and it's one of the most affordable forensics tools out there. I think it's awesome it's a fantastic tool, and it can really uh, it can really add a lot of power to people who are used to using 
Encase or FTK or some of these other things where you know those tools obscure so much from you that you don't really have good raw access to your data. Whereas WinHex and XWays Forensics will give you a tremendous amount of uh, of ways to communicate with your content and see it the way that you want to see it. So it gives you power in the raw form. Very cool. Yeah, and it sounds like it's like one of those things where if you don't know about the tool, you don't understand why this is the quote-unquote correct tool to use. That's that's job. that's true, and I'll definitely say, you know, doing data recovery, it's an awesome tool. There's a lot of things that you can do in data recovery that you can't do uh, easily with any other tool. And in forensics, uh, it is, again, one of the tools that you just go to because when you're looking for records and looking for things, it can give you information that you just have a lot of difficulty finding in some of the other automated tools. Um, you know, there's... You know, I'm not again saying anything bad about any of the other tools uh, in case, and I mean I, I have licenses for all of them and I use all of them. But uh, you know, in case and and FTK both have their place, and depending on what you're going to do, there may be you know some speed or some power associated with them. But I would say in the raw format, I can always get to the data quicker using Xways. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's I'll say what my benefit. I always try to look for the most efficient path and doing it right. And it seems like uh, when I get knee deep into a task, there's really only one or two tools that I can pick from. So, yeah, there's a, you know, again, it might be one of those things too, where you don't always know these tools are out there. I mean, if you were trying to do something specific and you did not know what X-Ways does and you hadn't been using it for years, the other thing is too, is I, I know that there's a lot of tools that are very complex when people open them and they look at them and they go, I have no idea what this does. And, that, that is the way it is in data recovery, too. Uh, we have some tools, and I do some training on them, like a DeepSpar or a PC3000 or the Atola. That, you know, Atola is a lot more straightforward because it actually gives you buttons to click and gives you guidance. Um, the, both the DeepSpar and the PC3000, if you open a PC3000 and you're trying to look at firmware or do something, uh, unless you've been trained on what to do with it, it is completely obscure. Like, you have no idea what this means. And... The guys who originally wrote this tool were Russian, and so when some of the buttons don't always translate, I was looking at one earlier today, and the button was Russian in the bottom right-hand corner. I have no idea what it said. So <laughs> you don't know whether it's, you know, brick this drive, erase this drive. You don't know what it says. Uh, and so, you know, over time, I guess you have to get used to which ones are, are okay or cancel. And so uh, it's kind of a weird tool from that standpoint, but um, – there are a lot of these that are like that in the data recovery world as soon as you open them. But I've also found that some easy tools that people you know, open and they look obvious, they have no idea what's actually happening behind the scenes. RStudios is a common tool that people use for data recovery. But you know, there are certain things that you can do in RStudios that make the, the process far easier. But people just click. They just click, 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 and then they think those are the results and they think that's all that they can do. And, you know... There's so many ways that you can do things, even inside of a tool like that. Most people have no clue uh, what that layout is or why it's there. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it seems like one of those things, it, this is the kind of career where if you're getting, in it, getting into it, you really need to get into it. There's no uh, playing around. There's no halfway doing it, um, especially because, like you said before earlier, like, about like court and testifying. Um I would not feel comfortable without taking some very advanced classes and to be honest, almost years of experience before I would uh, even think about doing 
such a thing. Well, you know, I know even from most people that I talk to that it's scary to them that they, you know, oh my God, I got to go to court or I got to talk about this. And there's really no, it's like having a baby. There's no way to really prepare for it. There's no, you can't say, oh, I'm going to save up till I can have a baby. When do you have enough? I mean, it, a million, two million. I mean, I think my <laughs> kids probably cost me two or three million. Uh, I, I know my son cost me 200 grand to go to college. So, so at least from that standpoint, you're never going to have enough, you know. So this is one of those fields where it's the same kind of thing. It's like uh, if you want to do forensics, then yes, you dig right in. But the first opportunity that you get to go to court, take it. I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you know, you prepare for what you need to prepare for. There's no way, no matter what the questions are, that you're always going to have the answer. There's just no way. There, the, some of the questions are devised on purpose right. for you not to have the answer. That's the entire point of some of the things. So no matter what you say and what you do, there's, there's, just go do it. Just get in. You know, don't be afraid to go to court. You know, sit down, talk with a lawyer, prepare for a certain event, and don't be afraid that you're going to testify. Go ahead and do it. Go through the process, and uh, you know, it's one more thing to add to your resume too, and. It doesn't matter what you do or say. You're not the person who gets to decide what happens in that case. That's what a judge is there for. You're just there to be honest. You're just there to tell the story the best way that you can with your skills. And, you know, if your skills aren't good enough, well, then that's really going to come out. But, you know, at least from that standpoint, most of the time, a lawyer won't ask a question he doesn't know the answer to, which means you might not know the answer. You're not intended maybe to know the answer. So one of the things that will happen in these hard drives, like I was describing earlier, when forensics people are doing an image, you know, let's say an image changes in the middle of them imaging it. And there's four bytes that, uh, you know, were modified and you can't modify only four bytes. So it'd have to be 512 byte sectors. So you have four 512 byte sectors that were modified. So roughly 2K or so. Um, if that happens, what will normally happen is a lawyer will say something to you like, so what were in those, uh, you know, four 512-byte sectors, uh, you know, four 512K sectors, what were in those sectors that you were not able to copy? And, of course, you can't, I mean, you don't know. It could be anything. Oh, well, my tool actually made them zero. And so, therefore, because my tool made them zero, we, you know, we're just accepting that as the answer. Well, then they'll ask you, well, is it possible that they could have said, Bob is guilty in those sectors? So, you know, that ends up being kind of a trick question is that no matter what you say, there's going to be – they could say anything that they want. It doesn't matter. You can't tell them what's in it, and they know you can't tell them. So they're going to say, well, you know, could Encyclopedia Britannica be in there? And the only thing you could say is, well, I don't think it's big enough, but that's about the extent of your answer. So so anyway, that's kind of how that goes down. That's very cool. Um, now here's a question. I was looking at myharddrivedive.com. Uh, looking at some of your upcoming classes, and then I look down at the bottom, you have like a ticker of um, things going on, and I see, I had to look at it. It's called Sky Dog Con. Yes. First off, that's a fantastic name, uh, but yes. it, it looks like a conference being held in, um, what's it, Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, tell me real quick. What do you think Skydog Con sounds like when you hear it? Well, when I hear it, I think it's about uh, dogs that can jump really high or far. <laughs> but, but 
but because it's on your website, I think it has to do something with hard drive forensics or technologies in general. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a technology conference. So, so here's the story for how this conference got its name. Uh, there's a guy who leads this this uh, conference, and his name is Trevor Hearn. And Trevor Hearn is a hacker by nature. He's been doing this for 20-something years. And he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, in this underground world, we all have a handle, a, a name that's associated with who we are that is not our real name. Uh, you know, many, many people back in the early days would use, you know, bulletin boards and use things like that. And they would use uh, handles for who they were. And so you would just get a nickname. And it so happens that Trevor's nickname is Skydog. Mm. And so Skydog is known through the DEF CON community. He's known by, you know, everybody in most of the community. And some people only know him as Skydog. Some people don't know him as anything else. And so uh, he was having problems with this conference that he was dealing with, which, you know, uh, uh, it was called Freaknik. And so he was having these problems with, and it's not the Freaknik that's in Atlanta. That's the, it's a, there's a Freaknik that begins with the PH, which is about ah. phone, f- phone freaking. And phone freaking is a you know an old thing that people used oh. to be playing with phones like black, yeah. blue boxes, black boxes. Captain and Crunch. So, yeah, yeah, Captain Crunch is. Uh, there's a whole other story about Captain Crunch. I've met him. Uh, anyway, we're not going to go into that story <laughs> at this point. You people can use Google and find out about Captain Crunch. Mm-hmm. But but uh, but ultimately the story ends up being that uh, he's having trouble with this conference and he wants to do something else. I said, well, why don't you create your own conference? And I said, just so that nobody can take this away from you or nobody else, you know, everybody knows who it is and who it belongs to. Why don't you just call it something like SkydogCon? And so I just kind of made that up and I said, you know, that sounds like a perfect name. No one's ever going to take it away from you and call it anything else because they know you're Skydog. And so uh, so that's how that kind of came up. And so Skydog is a person's name that uh, basically he is one of the lead uh, tech guys in the community. He's worked for a lot of different things and done some work for Wired Magazine and a couple other things out there. And uh, so he's running a conference in Nashville in October, and it's called SkydogCon. This is its third year, and they're expecting like 700 people to be there. And I'm going, I'm going to teach a two-day class there, and then I'm going to speak at the conference. And so you guys should all go. It's a, it's a fairly affordable conference. Uh, it's like 85 or 100. I don't even know what it is at this point because uh, I got to tell you, I don't pay when I go to conferences. Well, I uh, typically get in somehow for free or as a speaker or something. So uh, I don't always know prices. But yeah, uh, it's uh, $80 and with a $2 fee from the provider. So that's fair. Okay. Yep. So, uh, so that's a affordable conference, and it's uh, basically over two days, a Friday and a Saturday, or a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or something. And there's also parties and breakfast and stuff like that that goes with it. But uh, but it's a um, typically you're going to find some really good speakers. You're going to find some technical details you won't find anywhere else. And it's typically where people go to try out some material that they're never probably going to present anywhere else either. So um, so if you're interested in it, I'll be there. Uh, there'll be a number of people there. I'll be wearing a forensic unit hat, so I'll be. The one guy, although I do have some new embroidered my hard drive die hats. So Ooh. I have some new, you know, kind of like your pod nuts hat, but I've got mm-hmm. one that has the emblem of the my hard drive died on it. Nice. And so uh, I will be giving some of those away while I'm there. I don't have a lot, but I have like uh, 15 or something. So uh, we're going to come up with some questions or whatever and throw them out to people or whatever. Maybe if you walk up to me and ask me for one, I'll have one to give you. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm taking a look at it now. Um, the one suggestion I'll say is don't tell people to tell you a passphrase to get a hack because I'll never remember the passphrase. You won't give any out. <laughs> That's fine. I don't normally do that. Usually it's, hey, come up and say, I heard you on Podnuts and give me a hat. <laughs> Very cool. And that is uh, October 23rd through the 27th, Nashville, Tennessee at the Hotel Preston. Yes. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. And to be honest, I personally like conferences that are smaller just because I feel like I literally can go around and say hi to everybody and talk to everybody. I don't have to miss stuff. Yes, this is that kind of conference. We know everybody there, and uh, you know the really nice thing is, is that it's such a tight knit group of people that they are willing to share and bring new people in all the time. And you know, once once you're there, you'll enjoy it. There's going to be a lot of activities. I mean, sometimes they have like Lego contests and you know, hack the box contests or something like that. Um, they'll even have some kind of things like you know, capture the flag where you use a computer to go see if you can hack into something. And people will teach you. They'll help you do it, and they'll figure out how to do things but um but i am teaching a short two-day class there on hard drive recovery and it's the most affordable possible way to actually take my class if anybody wants to um but it is a, a shorter different version of my class over two days to teach you how to do data recovery up to head replacement and platter replacement so basically all the things you can do fixing pcb boards covering things how the drive works and things like that that will all be covered there very cool, Scott, but you had me at Legos. <laughs> Lego hard drives. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. You only on. need 900 pieces to make that thing work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is awesome. I might have to make one of those, a Lego hard drive. Why not? Because you can. Go for it. Yeah, but to make a circle in a Legos, you're going to need a lot of Legos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on how small you can get them. Well, here's one of the beautiful things. I'll say the the patent for Legos has been opened. So technically, if you want, you can get a 3D printer and print all the Legos your heart desires. Uh, I think Trevor will actually have a 3D printer there. He did a TV show a couple of days ago, uh, and he showed a 3D printer and showed school kids how to use it uh, on the news or something. And so I think he actually has one there. He may be able to print some up for us. Awesome. I, I think he's got all kinds of stuff. He's gonna He has a laser... Uh, laser etcher that's there so they can actually cut plastics and you know etch your laptop and stuff like that and they'll generally do all kinds of stuff there while they're there dude that's awesome okay hold on legos hard drive forensics 3d printers lasers now if i can get bacon for <laughs> breakfast that's like golden there there is bacon provided oh. by the conference on the last day the sunday uh, on the last day you actually have a buffet for the closing ceremonies, usually, and there's lots of bacon. I'm going to talk to the wife, then. <laughs> Maybe I can sweet talk her. I don't know. Definitely Come on try. up. Let's go. Come I would. You have no idea how much I would love to. <laughs> yep. You could do a live podcast from there. Uh, maybe videotape it and throw the video version up. That would be like awesome. Walk, walk around and do it like a TV show. Awesome. Well, you did put a couple videos on Google Plus the other day. I did. I uh, put some clean rooms. Uh, I have uh, like three videos of infrared soldering and uh, like 30-minute, 40-minute videos of how you actually work on a hard drive in a clean room. And I did one end-to-end -end in two different videos. So if people are interested, if you go to, uh, you know, my handle on, on YouTube is Superfly Flippin' A, but you can usually find me also just by going to uh, myharddrivedied.com, go to the presentation page. And on the presentation page, there'll be a link about halfway down that says YouTube. 
and where my YouTube videos are. And you'll see how to do a clean room recovery from end to end. Um, and so, like I said, it's a good, you know, 40, 45 minutes in there. And I show the entire process, how I rebuild the drive. And, you know, it's, it's meant to be a demo. And so there's two of those. And then there's one where I'm actually doing infrared desoldering. And I'm teaching somebody how to uh, take apart a board, a PCB board, a printed circuit board off the bottom of a drive, repair a chip, and put it back on. And so there's a video of that in there as well. Very cool. Super fly flipping A. That's a lot of syllables. Yes. Uh, you know, one day I was, I, was, I was actually getting ready to do a thing for DEF CON, and I wanted to come up with something that if somebody hacked it, I would be fine. I didn't care. It's not my main system. It wasn't something else because some sometimes you get attacked. And so uh, I, I super, you know, Sugar Sugar Ray or something was playing on the radio, and I thought, well, for some reason I transposed that into Superfly, and so somehow it became Superfly Flippin' A, which you guys can figure out what Flippin' A is, mm-hmm. and uh, that became the name out there on it. And then what happened is I didn't realize this, but you know, I posted a video out there and then, you know, Google rates everything according to your popularity and how many views you have. And I've got like 2 million views or 1.5 million views or something on one of the videos. So later on when I wanted to like make it more professional and do something else, I'd have to republish all the videos under a new name and, uh, and you lose your ratings. You lose all your stuff. Right. So, uh, so I just didn't want to do that. So I just, you know, tell everybody what Superfly Flippin' A is at this point, but uh, but that's not even my underground name or anything. That was just something I made up so that no one would know what it was. Uh, and now it's actually made its way into like court and stuff like that. Like, oh. are you? Yeah, it's like, are you also Superfly Flippin' A? Yes, it's like I am Superfly Flippin' A. It's like, like that's that's it's something terrible to have to try to describe to a judge. Uh, yeah, I'm Superfly Flippin' A. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. It's pretty funny. It's pretty fun. It's a great icebreaker for court. You don't get a lot of laughing in court usually, but you do in those instances. It's pretty nice. It's kind of a distraction. It's a distractionary content. Right, exactly. Take <laughs> off the edge. Yes, it, it works. It's pretty good, actually. That is awesome, Scott. Man, uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming out. Um, I know you're a busy guy, and if you can record anything at SkydogCon, please... Let me know. I have no problem disseminating it through Podnuts, Twitter feed, uh, Google Plus, every place else, because um, I'm sure it will be good stuff. Okay, I'll do that. Very cool. Uh, is there anything you wanted to uh, close with or uh, talk about? Um, the biggest things are just, uh, you know, my friend from Australia. It's very important that uh, we try to fill these classes. And I guarantee you that no one will ever be disappointed with the content that we're going to do in this class, that you will learn more than you will in any other class. And uh, and that's true of even my regular classes. Uh, I get every day I get emails from people who have bought my distance learning kits and and done things and that are doing recoveries for business out there, doing them for universities and doing them for as a standalone business that they just say how much money that they've actually made. And they've made far more than I ever charged them. So that's kind of nice. But, uh, but you know, they send me emails every day. And sometimes they let me send them out to people. So if anybody wants to get copies of those so that they know what it is, so if you're considering buying something or doing something, I appreciate it. That's how I fund all these free videos that I do, especially like three hours of clean room videos and things like that. But, uh, but that would be the only thing is th- that would be the kind of thing that would really help me out if people are interested in those classes and my 
friend from Australia who's had me go over there because um, I also have another class coming up in Australia in December. So I'm going back to December to Australia in December for my fourth class in Australia. Awesome. So uh, I'm very happy about that. My partner does a lot of work over there to make that happen. And so I'm just trying to help him out and get something over here so that he can come and uh, enjoy our continent as well. That's awesome, man. So thanks for having me on. And uh, if anybody's interested in anything, myharddrivedie.com. Feel free to email me, even if it's just a question about something. I answer all my emails. Very cool. Thank you very much, Scott. I will, I, I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.